Welcome to the April episode of ONP Rising, an original podcast series produced by the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists. I'm Nikki Chamberlain-Simon, a certified prosthetist-orthotist at Synergy Prosthetics in the California Bay Area. With me today, live from the 2023 Academy Annual Meeting and Scientific Symposium, is Fanny Schulte, MS, MS Ed, CPO, LP, Fellow, and Assistant Professor for Baylor College of Medicine's Orthotics and Prosthetics Program. Fanny is also the current Director of the Academy's ONPIQ Evidence Database and serves in the leadership of the Upper Limb Prosthetics Scientific Society. Fanny spends the rest of her time with her husband and son who share her love of the outdoors. She didn't put this in her bio, but I'd also like to add that Fanny crushed an ultra marathon a couple weeks ago. Pretty impressive. Welcome to the podcast, Fanny. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here joining you on this ONP Rising podcast. Yeah, and I'm glad you're here as well. Today we'll be discussing the Academy's evidence database, ONPIQ, something that we've both been working on behind the scenes for a couple years now, um, and I'll actually be stepping in as interim director in April. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today, especially as someone who I would consider a great leader and a personal mentor to me. Thank you, Nikki. It's been amazing working with you. I can't wait to see you carry the torch with ONPIQ. So I just want to start with an overview of ONPIQ. At this point, I think a lot of Academy members have heard of it, but maybe they haven't explored it. So in a few sentences, how would you describe ONPIQ? Uh, Yeah, that's a, a great question. And I think you're right. I think most of us by now have heard of ONPIQ, maybe even navigated it a few times or at least taken a look at it. And some are active users. So really what ONPIQ is, is a free service and in some ways a product as well for members of the Academy. And what it is, in essence, in its current state, it is a comprehensive, clinically relevant database of all of the research and evidence associated with orthotics and prosthetics rehabilitation. And when I say its current state, it is not a static service or resource. This is a living, breathing entity and organism that we are building and evolving with the membership based on their needs and wants, and those change almost daily. So it's really exciting to be able to work on this and share that with you. Yeah, it has been a really interesting project to work on. I mean, it's something that has not existed in this field before. So it's something brand new and and it's exciting to see it develop. Also, I'm curious because I don't know that I know the answer to this. What inspired you to apply for the director position originally? Yeah, it's a great question. It really kind of fell in my lap. And I'm not sure if those that approached me about it knew this, but I I really believe in centralized information, easy access points, just in general. I also deeply, deeply, deeply believe in evidence-based practice, advancing those strategies, uh, hopefully finding and facilitating tools and strategies for, you know, for clinicians and I work with students and residents and, and really trying to inspire folks to engage in that more. And, and ONPIQ is really a perfect way to do so. And when I applied for the position, it was really in its beta form. And I thought it would be an amazing opportunity to kind of take it from its infancy a little bit further through development to where it is today. And it's been awesome. Cool. And as far as the database goes, we've been spending so much time building it. And now hopefully people are going to really get to use it and reap its benefits. So what do you envision as the main use cases for this type of database? 
Yeah, you're right. We have done a lot of work and everyone out there is working really hard. So hopefully the marriage of those two will benefit everybody. So really the intent is, and probably one of the main use cases would be to use at point of care during your clinical day, whether it's related to patient care decisions, perhaps using it in your documentation, in justifications, uh, perhaps you're writing a letter of medical necessity, and you need access to information quickly and in a way that is easy without having to think too much and to one-stop shop. People are using these for developing academic content. People are using this for maybe you want to put together an in-service and you need some references. Perhaps you want to communicate with another member of the healthcare team and you want to find some really great publications or some case studies to share with the group. I mean, there's a wide range of ways to use this, but really at the core, it's for clinical application so that we can encourage evidence-based practice. So I actually, I have a follow-up to that that I'm curious about because you are an educator at Baylor. So do you think that this is something that will be useful for OMP students as well? Do you think it's only going to be useful in the clinic or is this something that students could start using? Oh, that's a great question. And absolutely. In fact, you know, even though students have typically institutional library, you know, they're able to access their, their libraries through their schools. Using ONPIQ is kind of a really interesting and great contrast to that because it is refined in its search to really streamline it for ONP-specific content. Whereas these broader databases, which is typically what students and, you know, in some cases the rest of us have available to us, it isn't, you know, refined to clinical relevance. So, you know, I encourage them to use it as an additional resource so they can really get a sense to compare and contrast their experience in searching versus searching a more broad mainstream database. Um, So absolutely. And, you know, when you get in the habit of using evidence in your kind of quote unquote day-to-day journey in ONP, by the time you become a resident, it's sort of already ingrained in your habits. And then by the time you get into your career and into practice, it's really just something that's the part of how you work every day. Awesome. I do also want to discuss what went on behind the scenes to make this happen, to develop this database into something that's a comprehensive, reliable resource. Walk me through the process of how a journal article gets curated. Yeah, so before I get to the curation process and just kind of how the database works in general, I do really want to tip my hat to you, uh, along with the rest of the original task force, because even though I was the first director, there was a whole team of people that went into the actual kind of ground floor development of this database. I just came in to operationalize and kind of get it to where it's at today, which is uh, more of a completed state. And so... I just want to make sure to give my hat to those folks who who really worked quite hard in the early days. But the way the database works is it actually pulls from the internet wide every 48 hours. Um, So it's kind of like scavenging the internet and pulling research, the most current, in the context of a search. So that's basically our net. So through our evolving search filter, we're basically have created a net that captures orthotics and prosthetics rehabilitation specific content on the internet. And so every two days, and this populates into the back end of our database. So that's kind of like step one. Okay, so that's more automated. And then we have people, humans, that interface with what gets pulled into the net. And the resources are reviewed. And they're reviewed by individuals that 
are called curators. You could also look at them as abstractors. We started with a really, really big team, and now we have a really small core group of those individuals. And essentially what they do is they apply an additional filter, if you will. Similar to a systematic review that you may find in the literature, the process is actually really quite similar. We have inclusion, exclusion criteria that's really clear. So once these folks take a look at this batch of imported resources, they take a look, they apply the inclusion, exclusion criteria, items get included or excluded and deleted. With the items that get included, they get abstracted. So this means that the curators take the information about this resource and input it into the format that will then display in ONPIQ. So when you're an end user and you see the resources, when you pull them up and locate them in ONPIQ, a human inputted that. And we have a certain set of standards for how that is formatted, how it's structured, and how it's laid out on the website. So there's a tremendous amount of consistency, and there's this element of quality and process control. And we're very transparent and always refining the process for not only the original search for the automated process, but also the inclusion-exclusion criteria for the curation process. So really, it's kind of exciting. The turnaround time on any given day for something that's been published is typically like two, three days, and sometimes much faster than that. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, thanks, Fanny. That was a, a really good overview, a summary of many years, many hours that have gone into curating. And it's been a process that we've definitely been honing, um, especially since since you came on. And it was something that started out with really no process. And then we started trying to develop something that could be repeatable from person to person. Because while it's a computer that's actually bringing each of these in, it's a person that is making these relevant to us. So that kind of actually leads into my next question, talking about quality control. I personally think that one of the greatest contributions you've made to OMPIQ is establishing a baseline of quality control, which is something that I think we could use a lot more of in, in a lot of aspects of our industry and probably other industries too. So what does quality control mean to you and how have you applied that to OMPIQ? Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with you. I think quality control and, you know, processes in this realm of perpetual self-reflection and, and change are, are really not practiced nearly enough and certainly not in our profession. But nonetheless, you know, when I came on board with ONPIQ, what I really wanted was to be very transparent with the individuals using the database or how are we getting these resources? How can they be sure that what's coming into the database really is everything that's out there in ONP? And although I can't guarantee it 100%, I will tell you that that is the ultimate objective. And these are really challenging questions and processes that have been attempted and are still being worked on by, you know, some really incredible researchers. I'm incredibly fortunate that we have this amazing advisory board that works uh, with supporting ONPIQ in its direction and its processes and its strategy. And so without their support, I certainly wouldn't have been able to even work on any of this refinement. So I definitely want to make sure to recognize that incredible group. But what I want to make sure is that our users know that we have gone through a very diligent process to ensure that they're getting the very best of what's out there and that they're getting the very best of the quality of what they're visually seeing on the screen. Everything is accurate. The citations are reflected correctly. The links are active. Everything that they can possibly access, you know, copyright-free is actually accessible to them. That 
there is no publication that might be a landmark publication for a certain discipline in ONP that they don't find in ONPIQ. So we really want to make sure to improve the quality so we can guarantee the actual comprehensiveness of the database, which ultimately is part of our mission. And for me personally, attention to detail is critical. And when you have human beings working on anything, there is going to be error. This is normal and it is to be expected. But through quality and process improvement, you can reduce those error rates. So as Nikki mentioned, we spent many, 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 many hours and years really developing a process to reduce that error rate. And we're very, very proud of, of where we are today. And the process continues, right? Because it is really a, a constant feedback loop. But that's what it means to me. And that's really how we applied it to ONPIQ. Yeah. And there's even a chance that some things may be changing over time, too, depending on what the academy demands of this resource, what the field mutates into, or what we decide is most important for us to have as clinicians. So it's important to definitely both have that quality control and keep applying it as we're growing as a field, because this is this is not meant to be a static source, like you said before. No, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, one thing that we didn't really talk about is, you know, when this task force was assembled years ago, it was a result of an academy membership survey. In fact, it was the academy membership that specifically expressed, I mean, with some overwhelming, you know, majority, that they wanted a resource to access research for use in clinic. I mean, this is really what catalyzed this whole thing in the first place. And, you know, certainly from six years ago, I mean, unless you're living under a rock, you may know that the world has undergone significant changes. So has our profession, both on the technology side, care delivery, people's lives have changed or for our patients and for ourselves. And so the Academy membership needed six, seven years ago it is going to look different today. And that's true for all of the resources that are provided by the Academy to its members. And this ONPIQ is no exception. So you're absolutely right. What we have currently is this really incredible scaffold, this amazing structure with a really robust, and, and when I say robust, you know, our database has over 12,000 resources available to our Academy membership. I mean, these are resources that, you know, range publication dates, you know, dating way back to anything that's available digitally. And many of those are, you know, PDFs that are now available digitally. So we have the whole gamut, really, and we have the privilege of at least me and you have the privilege of really having this amazing snapshot of all of ONP-related research, yeah. sort of the dawn of time. Right. Not literally, but, and it's really amazing. And we have the, all this at our fingertips and it's not done in any other field. This is not something that exists elsewhere. It's a real privilege that we can use this platform. And what we're hoping now is that we can get folks on the platform and kind of revisit that notion that we did six, seven years ago. What does the membership want now? Like, how are we going to build the structure from the scaffold? You know, what does everyone want this thing to look like? How can it benefit you most in the climate and the environment of today? And because we're lean and agile and we have really good processes in place, we can actually adapt to those requests really quickly, which is also very exciting. So if the membership wants a particular feature or has sort of a, expressed a new need, we can respond to that really rapidly and, you know, super proud that we can actually be able to do that now. Yeah. And going back to what you said about having almost the privilege to view all of these resources from 
such a wide time period. I, I remember when I first started curating, we were kind of starting with the, the 2000s on, and then there was this announcement that we were going to open it up to everything from it's like 1950 and on. And now, I mean, we have most, if not all, of the research relevant to ONP in this database. And it's, it's just pretty cool to see where we have gotten to, where we started and where we've gotten to. And for you, what do you think has been the most enlightening to you after you've gotten to interface with this body of evidence in our field? Yeah, I mean, it's actually a great question. And recently, something something happened that was just very eye-opening, and it actually makes me really proud of our profession and just its rapid acceleration in this area. We, we just finally curated all of the Journal of Proceedings all the way back to 1999. So it's, uh, you know, over 20 years of proceedings from each annual meeting. And when I was reviewing these, it was just, it's just unbelievable and basically unrecognizable to look at the content from our annual meetings between now and 1999. I mean, the scientific rigor, the contributions from people in multiple disciplines, the type of content and the depth and the, the level at which we are practicing today and communicating our practice to others and to each other. It's just unbelievable how far we've come. And that's in no small part due to the academy, due to the changes in our field in the last 20 years, and to the incredible work of all the clinicians out there who are, you know, working every day to advance our field. Yeah, definitely agree with you. So to summarize what you've talked about, where do you think ONP IQ is at right now and where is it headed? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I think this is kind of a great way to outline the reason for me passing on the torch. You know, I think it is in a new phase. You know, when I stepped in, it was kind of like a baby, right? And, um, you know, I fed it. I stayed up all night with it, <laughs> many, many nights up with it. And, you know, I started walking and, you know, now it's a, like a can I have conversations. It's it's a, a fully talking, living human being and it needs a different type of parenting. And that's something I'm just so excited about you stepping in to really take it kind of into this next stage of development and evolution. And so I think where it is now is an incredible foundation with all the like deep internal structures in place. So maybe thinking of a house with a foundation, all the plumbing's kind of in there, all the grading of the property around it is in there. Uh, the location is fantastic, right? But now we really want to get together with the home buyer and figure out exactly what they want to get from their home and, and really make it a home for them. I mean, this is where we want all Academy members to get their evidence. And we also want to generate contributions to the profession. For example, I'll just give two examples. You know, when we have our search kind of in the automation stage, you know, it is very complicated to develop a comprehensive search that captures all of ONP research without getting a bunch of stuff that you don't want and then without missing things that you do want. And this is something, you know, researchers struggle with all the time. So if we have a giant real-time systematic review and a way to test this search strategy. And so, you know, what we're hoping to do in the coming year is, is to get that information out there to the public, to researchers, and even to clinicians who may want to use this search strategy in different databases that exist out there. And then secondly is really this coming back to clinical relevance and really thinking about how do we decide what's in here and what's not, making sure that's extremely transparent, and really starting the conversation of what research do we think is clinically relevant? 
and how are people using the research? You know, we recently added a feature, we call it an evidence-based practice feedback loop, but it literally could be anything. It is essentially a way for our users to tell us what they're using each individual resource for. And so what's amazing about that is we can see what individuals who are accessing ONPIQ, looking for research, are using these different resources for, such as clinical decision-making, healthcare, communication, education, research, academic activities, I mean, you name it. The more we can know about our user and what they are using it for, the more we can create a, a more interactive platform. And so I see this really as turning into something a little bit more interactive with the user. And I, I know you've had a lot of visions and conversations with me about this, and I, I'm just really excited to see where this goes, but we won't be able to do it without the membership, the feedback, and individuals using the platform and really helping in the design process from here to build that house that you can call a home. Yeah, and I, I think we're really entering that phase where we're going to start asking users to really have a part of this conversation. We've spent a lot of time working on this on the back end, but now we want people to jump on the site, explore, try it out, give us your feedback, because this is something that is made for you. It is made to be used by probably mostly clinicians, but we don't even know that yet. We'll see who benefits the most from this. And even if you aren't using this, I think this is an extremely resource for us to have as a field that is trying to make this push towards being a stronger profession. Uh, I was in a session today on the political climate in ONP, and we talked a lot about transitioning from being a technical field to a profession and interfacing with evidence and using it to build us as a field, I think, is extremely important. Absolutely. And, and even just understanding as an aggregate, you know, I mean, Academy has a tremendous amount of mem members that are represented in the clinical community. If we can have an aggregate sense for how people are using research, that can also guide the type of research that is prioritized. You know, so I think researchers also may want to know this information. And I think also clinicians want to know this information. You know, we have this awesome pulse. We have the, our fingers on the pulse of all of the research that's out there and how people are using it. It would be incredible one day for ONPIQ to, to share with its users, hey, guess what, guys? This is, um, this is the number one resource that people are using in clinical justifications for, you know, you name it, transtibial prosthetics. And so you don't even really have to interface with ONPIQ in a traditional sense where you're searching for research, but you're actually just getting this aggregated information from the whole field, from all the Academy membership users. So, you know, there's just so much potential and we have all these great ideas and visions, but we really want that to be a shared endeavor. So, you know, you can access ONPIQ through the ONP website. You can also access it directly you know, we are fully transparent and easy to reach. You know, you can contact the ONPIQ director directly, make requests, give feedback, comments. I mean, this is like quick turnaround time. You know, this is kind of what we're here for. Yeah, definitely now is the time, I would say, for if you are curious about this at all, just start using it. It is ready to be used. You can access it also. My favorite way is just to Google ONP. IQ. Super easy. It will pop up. But I think that's about it. So thanks again for joining us, Fanny. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks. And thanks for everyone for listening to this episode of ONP Rising. 
Join us each month as we continue our conversation with seasoned ONP professionals as they share candid insights on topics relevant to those interested in starting on the right foot when it comes to a career in ONP. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for ONP professionals. The award-winning ONP Research Insights with Dr. Steve Gard and ONP Clinical Insiders with Academy Scientific Society's Chair, Seth O'Brien, a podcast created for conversations on specific areas of clinical care. For more information on the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists, visit us online at onp.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.